Homeless Link is the national membership charity for frontline homelessness services. We work to improve services through research, guidance and learning, and campaign for policy change that will ensure everyone has a place to call home and the support they need to keep it. In this podcast, we will explore how services and individuals can improve the way they work and support people who are experiencing or have experienced homelessness. In each episode, we will speak to a guest who will tell us about their work and the lessons they've learned along the way. We hope you enjoy it. In this episode, we speak to Nicoletta Theodoro, a PhD student from Harriet Watt University. She is speaking about her work on how attachment styles may present in homelessness settings and how they may affect people's relationships with the care and support sector. I'm Lauren, Youth Homelessness Lead at Homeless Link, and I'll be hosting today's episode. So hi, Nicoletta. How are you? Hi, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Thank you. I'm fine. I'm, uh, thank you for introducing me. And I'm really glad to be here today and speaking about those, some of my findings. Uh, and, and I hope they might be useful for, for frontline practitioners. So I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you. And um, I, really, I really enjoyed speaking to you and planning this podcast. So I'm excited about what we'll be talking about. Uh, just to get us started off, could you mm-hmm. tell us a bit about the about yourself and the work that you're doing? Well, I've just recently completed my PhD and the um, Institution of Social Policy, Housing and Equalities Research at the Harriet Water University in Edinburgh. And I'm um, working as a social researcher for NGOs currently in Greece and also teaching in some class teaching in psychological uh, psychology departments in uh, college here in Greece. So I'm currently in the middle of disseminating my findings and producing some publications uh, from my PhD, some of my findings there. So I've did, my PhD, I'm just going to speak a little bit about that. Um, my PhD was focused on multiple exclusion, homelessness, and attachment and relationship with care and more specifically relationship with frontline services. And I was really keen to find out what is that, that when we have all these services and they're there and the social support is there, and then we have so many people that might be rough sleeping and they might be finding difficult to move on from the streets. I was, why is it, what is there that it might, we might be missing when we're trying to understand their way of relating to, to a service? So I've, I've started looking at those questions and, and um, I worked with my supervisors in, in developing my subject in that. And I ended up working a lot on attachment, specifically on attachment styles and, and how that, that kind of plays into causes of homelessness, if, if at all, and how um, influence the relationship with staff members and support services, but also how staff members react towards individuals with quite an insecure way of relating to, to a service or a diff, a, I suppose an impair in some ways ability to, to elicit care. So that's my PhD focus. And I um, suppose we could uh, speak a little bit more about uh, some of those aspects today and, and discuss possibilities for implications for practice for frontline staff. Yeah, and I think it's, an amazing research area that is going to be really helpful to uh, our membership at Homeless Link. So to start with, could you explain to us what attachment is and why it matters? Yes, and um, and I suppose I'm, I would be also wanting to just say briefly uh, about 
possibly the, the population I've studied and, and look when I, I'm speaking about attachment, but uh, I think that might be helpful for, for our, our audience to hear. So just briefly saying that I've started working with this population in homeless services and I've realized really quickly um, the amount of trauma that is occurring in early life especially for those individuals and the, how pervasive is into their lives in, in so many ways. So they can cause severe disruptions in, in so many levels, developmentally, psychologically, physiologically. And my interest, I suppose, when I was working with this population and, and researching this area was to approach the subject from a psychological aspect. So I wanted to look and uh, the difficulties in engaging and establishing an effective and a positive relationship. I've, I've seen relationship in those services um, as the vehicle for change, as a way to foster recovery with this particular population. And, and, and when I'm talking about this population, I'm meaning people that they have experiences of uh, uh, multiple exclusions. So people that they have, um, they might be uh, homeless and might have experience of homelessness, but they also have um, a, other experiences in and they are, they suffer experiences they have experience in other domains of deep of deep exclusion and that meaning that I mean um, including for example time spent in institutional care misusing substances taking part in street culture activities so I'm talking about a population here when I'm referring to 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 homelessness I'm talking about a, a visible form of homelessness a concerning form of homelessness but quite an exceptionally vulnerable subgroup within the broader homeless population at least this is the the profile of um, of the of my participants so it kind of includes uh, people that they are kind of hidden groups which not necessarily present in most analysis, but um, there tend to be common faces and they tend to be coming in and out of services quite a lot, using um, the services for prolonged periods of time, but may, that appears to be difficult for them to, to, to go, to move off from this, to make a transition of the seats or even to engage with, uh, with services. I just want to clarify that before going to attachment, just so we when I'm talking about this population, I'm, I'm just referring to this, I suppose, a little bit more complex forms of, of, of homelessness. And, and I think this is also important to know because there is quite a big link and quite a lot of research also in Icefield Department that speaks about and shows how most complex forms of, of multiple exclusion homelessness are associated with childhood trauma. Um, so this is something that we see more and more and this high over high degree of overlap between experiences of uh, homelessness, trauma and other domains of, uh, of social exclusion. So it's a population in a way in a subset of these sorts of problems. And, and I, I wanted to say that because um, um, trauma, it's linked to attachment, and um, and I'm talking about attachment trauma in, or relational trauma in, in in my PhD in my research. So, um, individuals, those individuals, in my at least in my knowledge and my research, they they appear to high high levels and lasting kind of um, prolonged experience of of repetitive trauma. Um, and, and these trauma memories and trauma experiences, they do remain uh, 
unintegrated and unprocessed and they are very powerful in, in, in many ways and, and they come and play out in their relationships with services. So um, in some ways, their relationships with themselves, their others and, the, and the, the world, it's kind of impaired in some ways. So it's, it's, it's hard, it's a difficult relationship. So, um, uh, and I think this is really important to, to take into consideration before even suppose, speaking about the, um, the attachment as a theory and as a process. Um, because it really links to that. So what I'm trying to say basically is that um, um, when we have all this amount of trauma uh, in, within this population, the, the way they relate to, to a service really goes back to that. So uh, the behaviors in early childhood, or the, the way they form the, the relationship with others in early life, they tend to play out uh, in the present. And that's where attachment is really um, coming in. Uh, there, it, attachment is a theory, basically. It's empirically tested, a well-grounded theory. It's quite a, a, an interesting concept. And it's something, I suppose, it's not a theory as such uh, that much anymore. It's more of a, a something we're kind of like seen um, repeated a lot of times within research. Uh, and we are kind of certain to say that it's, it's happening out there in, in many ways. It's, it's, it's playing out. So when this is managed, um, then uh, others are seen as reliable, as a source of support. They're seen as um, um, a way, I suppose, people can, are able to trust those individuals. They know that they could go there and uh, get the support they need when threatened. And they use this constructive problem-focused modes in order to regulate themselves and regulate their emotions. So we kind of develop those models across our lifespan. And, they are and they're, they're guiding our expectations and, and uh, about what, um, of, of others, but also of um, the social and physical environment overall. Um, so um, the idea uh, behind the attachment is that those attachments that we form in early life, they interleave with attachment styles, attachment uh, ways of relating in adulthood. And they're influencing adaptation or maladaptation across our lifespan by organizing particular relational uh, processes, developmental processes. So um, it's a set of, um, it's what we expect from others, basically, what we expect from um, from then when we are in, in a difficult situation, um, but also how we see ourselves as worthy of care or not worthy of care, and how we see the world as, as a safe or not a, as an unsafe environment. So um, this is like the theory behind, uh, I suppose, attachment. And, and uh, but one, what happens when things are not going so well is that uh, when we have... Um, when we're exposed in, in environments that they are chronically stressful, which is the case for the participants of my, the, or the, the population that I've studied, when we're uh, exposed to these stressful environments, we may develop um, enduring patterns and our regulatory capacity is impaired in some ways. So the way we elicit care, it's really impacted. Our processes are uh, for modulating our emotions, 
uh, or to uh, responding to environmental demands. It's it's um, it's not working as well, I suppose, in, in some ways. We can't easily mobilize support. And just to clarify that a little bit more, um, in attachment terms, we develop either attachment anxiety or attachment avoidance. So when attachment figures, let's say parents, have sometimes responded uh, to support with love and care, and other times responded with hostility, anger, or rejection, then uh, we, we develop intense fears of abandonment and uh, hunger for closeness and hyperactivity. Uh, and our, our attachment system remains active until we get these uh, needs uh, met. So this can become chronic uh, and these are uh, active ways of, uh, of, uh, for us to get closeness and, and to get what we haven't get, got really in the, in the very early life. So we might either develop higher anxiety and that links to hyperactivation of the system. So excessive proximity seeking, intense um, ruminate, uh, ruminative reactions to distressing situations. So quite a, um, an overwhelming type of uh, engaging with others. And on the other hand, we also um, could develop uh, attachment avoidance. So when people are uh, have encountered persistent rejection from past uh, attachment figures, then they, have, they develop a deep-seated distrust of others and they see others as not reliable, as not really um, able to provide them with any sort of care. So in order to prevent them from, uh, from, get, from feeling this pain of, I suppose, a rejection, they avoid dependency, they, they suppress their needs, they close down and, and they're uh, disengaging from others, they're disengaging from social support. They feel that others can, they're in, in some ways, they're alone in the world. They cannot uh, um, get the support they need. So, um, and, and they are quite fearful of that. So these internal strategies are interplaying in their behavior in the present. So people might react either from hyperactivity of their system or a deactivation of their attachment system. And sometimes when there's quite severe trauma in early life, people may develop a, a disorganized attachment, which means they might display both behaviors in, um, one after the other, or they might they might seeking support, and then they might they might disengage completely. And we tend to see this quite a lot in this population. We tend to see this push pull in relationships. So um, this is in I suppose um, a way to conceptualize attachment as a way of um, regulating ourselves if we are developed in a safe. Uh, we had the chance to be in a safe and, and caring environment. And on the other hand, uh, if we didn't and we were neglected in some ways, we may perceive others um, or turning to others for support as not, or depending to others as not a helpful strategy. Great, thank you. So I was wondering if we could first talk about how attachment styles impact a person's ability to access care, whatever care that is. It might be homelessness support, but it might be other forms of healthcare or um any service yes um 
I suppose what we're doing here is that when we have a hyperactivity, a hyperactive attachment system, so that means that we have stayed in this state for prolonged periods of time, of time, then we are um, anxiously attached to others. So we part in in attachment, we have the attachment pattern. So to conceptualize. Uh, better attachment. So we have categories that people fall into, all of us fall into sort of category, in a category um, uh, or a typology or a predisposition um, or a dimension. So we all feel in terms of attachment, I mean attachment dimension. So we all fit in, in one of these based on how we relate to others. So um, what I've done in my research, I've looked at um, I've conducted interviews, uh, in-depth interviews with uh, people that they are uh, they have um, experiences of multiple exclusion and they have been um, homeless for prolonged periods of time. And I really wanted to look into uh, how they relate to a service and what is their way of relating to a service. And I've done that by using attachment theory in, 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 yeah, in that, those lenses to, to get a, a grasp of what they might be like for them because I've I've noticed and we know that behavior is not one thing in, in people are um, developing different ways of engaging with a service so the idea behind that was what are these patterns if they are any patterns and if so how we can get a better idea and inform our practice and possibly predict behavior so the idea was that um, as I said the hyperactive system a hyperactive system, attachment system means that we have an individual that um, might be do, having insistent attempts to obtain care and support. They might be highly dependent and there might be these behaviors that we often see in services that might be considered as quite dependent and clingy. Um, they might be, um, uh, they might perceiving others and services as not responding to their needs. So that's an, another trait of, of, um, of of the um, uh, hyperactivity of the, of the attachment system. They might, uh, I suppose they might not engage always with the service. They might engage quite for a prolonged period of time and they might disengage uh, after a while. So they come in and go. They have quite a overwhelming kind of an incoher incoherent sometimes when the extreme ends and contradictory style of relating to others. And then um, we have um, the other side, which is the avoidance styles, um, where we have a deactivation of the system, where people are using distancing strategies um, out of fear of rejection. They use um, their compulsive self-reliance, so they don't rely on others for support. They um, tend to isolate themselves more. They, are ha they might be presenting with um, quite angry, quite... Um, uh, uh, suppose hostile in sometimes in their presentations they generally block, block access to their emotions uh, they ignore their emotions they try to cope alone and they de-emphasize de threats so we have um, we can see both those behaviors playing out in the in the um, uh, homeless services so they frontline staff would come across with sudden shifts from cooperation to rejection they might see they might come across avoidance they might um, these are behaviors that they are often and commonly occurring and anticipated by staff members and they can be very incredibly challenging actually to deal with um, 
working with individuals experiencing high rates of turmoil, emotional turmoil, turmoil, hopelessness, and and powerlessness uh, that this kind of hyperactivity and deactivity brings about, and leads can produce considerable work-related stress and anxiety to staff, and often leading to emotional exhaustion, frustration, demeaning feelings of self-efficacy, and so on. So this is quite a, a an interesting aspect in, in that sense that these individuals are seen by services often or often labeled as difficult to engage, as care avoidant. They don't comply so easily with behavioral requirements of mainstream services. They might be also fall through the gaps in provision. Uh, they may fail to attend appointments. Uh, they might not seem as ready or they might seem too chaotic to benefit from mental health services, or even too volatile to commit to an addiction recovery plan, for example. So um, we see lots of people repeatedly excluded from services because of disruptive behavior or non-engagement. And and this kind of perpetuates a cycle of repeat homelessness. So, so the idea behind that is how we can engage in a different way, how we can see individuals in a different light, and how we can explain possibly behavior, understand behavior, and 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 basically that's what attachment theory offers in all this. It offers the idea of um, making, informing our practice and informing predictions uh, about the occurrence of problematic behaviors, understanding the function and understanding that there are different styles of recovery and how we can link to those individuals in a better way, how we can communicate better, how we can um, uh, respond with sensitivity to distress, with um, um, providing reassurance, encouraging the individual to gain independence, how we could do that. But before we go into that, I think it is important to, to understand that, that uh, People when, seeking help, people when seeking help and they are in psychological distress, they will exhibit that type of behavior. I mean, it's a normal reaction. Um, they have suffered quite, as I said, prolonged periods of, of trauma. They have um, uh, been exposed to, to a hostile environment for prolonged periods. So their individuals are understandable reactions. So the idea within... Um, within a service is to develop a framework, a psychologically minded framework and the stigmatizing of behavior, understanding behavior and uh, going beyond what we've seen. Um, According to attachment, let's say, um, um, sometimes the hostility or aggression could be a way to attain the the security that was never managed in early life or in later also in later life so you could see it could be seen as a as a as a fear for of rejection or exclusion from a service so it can be seen in a different light and and i think there is a i think this is a really key point in here in, in uh, what we're talking here today about seeing behavior uh, uh, differently and so responding differently. I mean, the, those behaviors are complex. I'm not saying that it's um, easy or uh, not challenging for staff. They all, uh, I, I'm, I've worked as a practitioner and I'm aware of those, of those challenges, but also I've, I spoke with practitioners and about their, their responses to, and their emotional responses and cognitive responses to those challenging behaviors. And, and they're quite difficult and demanding. So, um, 
the idea was how we can improve the relationship between a service user and also the service user and service provider in a way that both can be, um, um, I suppose, develop a fruitful interaction. So they can both have um, find a way to, to work with each other. Yeah, so I think sort of just to come back to sort of what you've been saying is these are ways of these are strategies that people have developed mm-hmm. in response to early experiences of trauma. Mm-hmm. And even though we might see them as challenging behaviour, and they can be challenging behaviour, and you might not understand why someone is behaving in certain ways, the attachment cells sort of give a framework to, to understand that behaviour. And actually, if you dig down into it, they are, you know, it's generally a quite a reasonable coping strategy mm-hmm. to the early life experiences or experiences of trauma later on in life as well. Um, yes. But it's not nonsensical. It's very, it's actually a very logical way to behave and protect yourself if you've had that exposure to ongoing trauma or neglect? Well, I think that you just pick up the right word here by saying defences, because um, these are defences and we all have those defences. And um, it's it's a way for us to alleviate, to attain security and get the support we need and the care that we need in, in, our, uh, in order to survive and in order to move on. But sometimes um, those strategies become the... Uh, secondary, these stra- secondary strategies, they become the main way of working things out. They become the main regulatory, regulatory device for the person. So that might be the only way they know. And, and sometimes those internal working models are highly maladaptive for the person. And, and it's, it's, um, it's so interesting that, you know, their ability to elicit care from others is, has been in some ways impaired. And, 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 the, this constant um, systematic as way failure to get this uh, the support they need, they cause them to to not being able to regulate themselves and regulate their emotions, and and, and that means difficulty to express emotional expression, but also that means difficulty to attend to support in a way that might be effective for them. And you've sort of spoken a little bit about this already around the kind of styles and what that that is some of the sort of examples of how people might behave but I was just wondering if you could give any other Mm -hmm. examples from your work of um, the different how that might play out in within a homelessness setting particularly but not necessarily yeah in a support relationship I guess. Yes, um, well, I've used some vignettes in my in my research to um, get an idea of how staff members would re- react and how would they think of uh, specific behaviors. So I can just give you some of those vignettes. Um, Brilliant. So um, let's say there is an individual that has a withdrawn attachment style. That means that they have a higher regard. They might be very suspicious of others. They might distancing, social distancing from staff members. They might use the service. They might come and use the basic facilities, but almost even on a daily basis. But they appear to 
not really engaging with any other forms of support. So they might appear to know uh, very, very well contained in some ways. Uh, they, they appear to know what they're doing. They might be minimizing the problems and they have kind of a strong desire for privacy and a high self-reliance. So this is a defensive avoiding style. So people are, are with this style, they are defensively avoiding to get support. They have a high self-reliance and, and they um, relate to staff in, in those forms. So staff members, when we discuss this idea, they argued that these service users who were assessed as withdrawn appear to be more likely to fall through the net. So they run the risk of being dismissed by a service because of their reluctance to express their needs and seek support in an open way or interact with staff in an open way, they might be missed within a service. So practitioners, let's say, they said that uh, this um, self-sufficiency, which is not really, if you're understanding, it's not really, um, uh, it appears to be self-sufficiency self, self, self because there is this, um, this is the way of, of coping, basically, which means distancing and, and, and not trusting others. It's a really deep distrust there and quite an undemanding type of attitude leads to um, um, difficulties in vocalizing needs and, and accessing support. Um, individuals practitioners said that these people might be missed because of the work that clients are more likely to be saying, I need help, they might be more likely to be heard. So um, practitioners may be drawn into a particular dynamic with these strategies, with these coping patterns. They might start themselves downplaying the attachment needs of their service users. Um, they might in some ways neglect such a service user um, because their needs are unexpressed, uh, inadvertently, of course. And um, I mean, their attachment styles are playing, a sta attachment styles, um, staff members' attachment styles are also playing in there and their understanding of it. So um, they might start confirming the, ba the very basic pattern of this individual that they cannot get the support they want that they, they are alone in the world, they're not big, they're, uh, they're better on their own and, and no one really can help them. So the difficulty there for staff members is to remain really interested in this relationship with those service users and not um, uh, push, because those individuals run the risk of pushing others away so it's really important for, for staff members to, to um, notice those behaviors and how they interplay and how they uh, come about within um, when people are engaging with a service and, and start working a different way with this individual. So a way to work with an individual that is withdrawn, for example, it could be by um, slowly starting making conversation gradually over the over time avoid overwhelming them and 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 have a stance of curiosity of what is going on there normalizing stress their stress reactions kind of as assisting them in some ways to engage with their with this very very important needs they have but they might neglect themselves and and it's it's interesting because um practitioners said that um you know, sometimes, well, if they're not ready to take the support, then I cannot help them. Or, um, you know, a lot of people might go 
they would they would say I can't engage with her, with them because it's it's uncomfortable for me. I really want to know what I, it's easier for me to with someone that is out in your face and it's out there and they express exactly what they want. It's kind of easier to work with someone with um, that obvious, but when someone is is um, it's really like uh, stepping back and isolating or in, it might be difficult for for um, staff members to understand what is going on there and they might be um, move farther away. I mean, these are some of the findings that they came about from the research and and and, and uh, it's really important to say that practitioners in my at least the, the ones I've interviewed, they have quite a interesting psychologically minded thinking anyway and they were able to um to say and, and express their their views on that this, there is quite a lot of trauma here emotions are hacked in and of course it's difficult to engage with them and remain interesting with them and sometimes we might neglect them because others are, are more vocal about their needs so it's quite interesting how this um um idea came about and people were able I mean, staff members were able to identify those behaviors, but weren't able at that point to to understand the mechanism behind this behavior, and and, and also, oh no, always to notice this behavior as a way of of coping, and uh, not as a way to to uh, to provoke attention or not to provoke attention in this case, but to uh, I suppose to. Uh, uh, to uh, how to say to distance themselves in in from the from the care, um, I think uh, if let's say, and I'm gonna finish with this bit, um, if the if the staff member responds to the service user presentation um, by withdrawing help, uh, the client loses the needed support. Uh, the experience of having support withdrawn will confirm service users' expectations that others are unavailable. And that kind of perpetuates the help-rejecting strategies that they employ. And this is quite an interesting, I suppose, idea in, 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 in when trying to understand behavior, especially behavior, especially withdrawn individuals that they don't really um, kind of show what they want and they don't engage that much or uh, or they might engage through an angry dismissive stance um, which means that they might um, be, tend to be more hostile and in, in their presentations and 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 service and providers will often say well with those individuals it's 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 really hard to stay in a relationship with them so um, uh, just quoting one of my participants they would say people think that they are challenging those clients by saying no. Well, actually, the biggest challenge is to be nice to them. So it's, um, it's an interesting point to, to make. And, and uh, uh, there are other alternatives to way, uh, and ways to, to engage those individuals, and, and it's important to see them. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's really interesting. And I think it's it's really interesting to think about that dynamic of you might be working with someone who is sort of behaving in certain ways and that is part of their sort of self-preservation and then as a worker mm -hmm. maybe responding in you know that's making you feel in a certain feel a certain way understandably <laughs> and then you're behaving in certain ways that are around your own self-preservation and how that then feeds into these ongoing narratives of 
of, of both attachment styles, I guess. Um, in terms of of these sort of styles that you've sort of spoken about, is there any kind of variation within the same styles or um, mm -hmm. of sort of insecure in, insecurity and insecure attachments? Yes, I mean, there are several models of attachment, so the categories may be a little bit different between those models, depending on the um, on the perspective that you're taking. So if you're looking at it from a psychodynamic aspect, so psychodynamic theories and, and that kind of literature, then you might have other, you might have different names and different ways of conceptualizing attachment. Well, my way of, of looking at those attachments was through a social psychology perspective. So the idea behind my, um, uh, my way of looking at those was to, to look at how people are seeking support, how they engage with support, um, how they uh, use the, the the social support offered, if they use it at all, what's their ability to access care, and also what is their degree of insecurity. So um, how insecure basically they are in in, in terms of um, um, in terms of the way they relate to others, and the way I've um, through this perspective, the conceptualization of attachment is. Um, um, can be seen through four, let's say, or five different attachment styles. So we have the secure style, and then, which is um, not really um, something that we see a lot within uh, the homeless sector. And then we have um, four insecure attachment styles. So we have a withdrawn style, the one I spoke about just before. And then we have an angry dismissive style, which is again an avoidance style, but has um, its main trade. It's not isolation and withdraw, but withdraw, uh, but it's also um, uh, anger. So they might engage with, um, they might be quite volatile. They might be um, uh, kind of have an angry way and uh, an antisocial, in some ways, could say behavior of relating to others. And then we have the um, uh, the anxious attachment styles which links to the hyperactivity of the system, as opposed to the deactivation of the system, of the attachment system. And then and the anxious styles are the, a fearful attachment style or an enmeshed attachment style. And, and those styles um, have a quite different way of relating to a service than what I just explained before. So for instance, an enmeshed attachment style um, it's uh, a style that it's, um, can be quite, uh, uh, I suppose the person with that presentation can be quite overwhelming, can be um, have this push-pull stance towards support over time. They might be presenting as really um, depending on a service, but also disappearing after a while. They might be, um, have, I suppose this, this, um, this, uh, they might be exaggerating the they might be over dependent in some ways they might be also phobic though of support so they this is kind of like a, a contradiction within let's say the fearful attachment system attachment style so they are um they want the support and they need the support they come into the service and they're quite vocal about their needs and they will be open about their past experiences quite a lot in, in very easily so their boundaries are a little bit and uh, impaired in, in, in some ways, but um, 
they're not necessarily able to engage with the support. So they, because they're so overwhelmed sometimes with their emotions and kind of desperate in, 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 in some other ways, it's really um, um, hard for them sometimes to engage. And that, that might be also confusing for staff on the other side. So um, it's hard with, uh, for example, for staff members to know where they stand with those individuals and how they can best support those or whether they encourage further dependency or assisting the individual in developing ways of coping independently. So, um, and also there is this idea of that they might be support, they might be attention seeking, which is uh, not really the case as such. I mean, they are, um, they just, their system, <laughs> the attachment system is activated and kind of uh, in a different way, but it's not that they are um, getting the support they need and they are, uh, uh, they, they're able to move on. It, it's really hard for them to to to, to get this. Uh, uh, I suppose uh, when they are so emotionally distressed, uh, to be able to to receive this practical support and, and move on. So the idea is when working with such an individual is to, um, for instance, offer uh, regular and brief contact, attend to their needs in in, in a way, and even if they're. Uh, they're not met immediately, just attend to, to those needs to kind of reassure them in, 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 a, in a way. They might, we might have a more pragmatic and practical stance sometimes, so we can focus more less on the emotional aspects without validating those aspects, but also looking at the uh, practical aspects. By, so by taking away their, um, all these kind of feeling so overwhelmed and so lost and, and so... Um, unable in a way to, to cope with the feelings. So uh, so there are different ways of, of looking behavior basically and different ways of, of working with uh, particular individuals depending on how, where they are, where they are in terms of these categories and where they are in terms of dimensions of, of, of uh, attachment, meaning how much anxiously attached and how much avoidant attached they might be. So, um, there are, I suppose, different ways of, of uh, working, depending on the um, on the style and the presentation. And there are also ways to assess those styles and find out what the style is quite easy with using a questionnaire, or even um, if we have this this uh, capacity to to work through um, attachment interviews, so to to basically inform our assessments. Um, and see whether our services are meeting attachment needs. I mean, it's important for services to acknowledge the relational patterns of individuals, how they relate to a service, what was like for them to relate to a service in the past, how they related to a previous support worker or key worker, what happened there, how what did what did go wrong. So kind of assess how the relating patterns, how assess the relating histories, and 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 basically see. Um, through that, how they, they might be related to us, to the service, to this service, and to a, a support practitioner, and, and informal practice in, in, in that way, and, and taking into account those attachment styles, meaning that we're taking into account the uh, different styles of recovery, different styles of um, um, way, and different styles of relating to others, relating to support. And, and acknowledging that there are quite a different, quite a big differences there. That, uh, but also predict that um, 
problematic behaviors and understanding their function. Is there anything that you, are there any kind of take home? I, I think you've, you've done a lot of summarizing, but if there was sort of any sort of sentence take home messages, I guess. Is there anything that you'd want to, or, or want to finish up with? Mm, I think it, I think it's really really important not stigmatize this behavior. I mean, we all have in, in we all have an attachment style. It's a universal, I suppose, it's a universal concept. We are, um, um, it's you know, this this attachment theory addresses the universal psychological psychological needs. We all fall into some sort of uh, category or some sort of uh, attachment dimension. So more or less, depending on a degree of insecurity, but um, uh, so it's it, and I think it's really important to destigmatize of behavior in that sense and have the psychologically minded thinking when you approach individuals with such a, with such serious and severe background and traumatic experiences. I mean, um, and I think that it's it's really important to also have in mind that it is an understandable behavior to a hostile previous environments which plays out in the present and sometimes it is the only way of interacting the, the, these people might might I mean people they might have experienced homelessness and multiple exclusion that might be the only way they know that might be the only way they know of, of uh, interacting with someone else so we um, need to have this in mind and also have in mind that frontline services they are doing amazing work and they have what it takes I mean we, services are uh, frontline services are relational in the very basic level that's the um, the key uh, idea so we just gonna improve our relationships by using an attachment perspective let's say so and and there is a, a huge value in, in the work uh, services do. They are the prime contacts for lots of people. So I think that uh, we have what it takes. It's more about how we can improve this and, and maybe inform our practice even more. Thank you. I think those are lovely messages to end with as well. So thank you very much for coming and speaking to us today and I look forward to hearing more about your work in the future. Thank you Lauren, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. To keep up to date with the latest goings on at Homeless Link, please follow us on Twitter at Homeless Link. If you're interested in training and development opportunities for yourself, your team or your organisation, get in touch by emailing training at homelesslink.org.uk. We have a range of courses that help staff and organisations develop the skills needed to tackle current issues and improve services.